This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. And it's in the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody. Scoop, duck, and high-fi back for another week. My name is Matt Bagley, and over the magic of the interwebs via Zoom chat, I've got the great J-Hop, Justin Hopkins, here with me. What's on your mind this week, my friend? Uh, gosh, you know, I uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting world we live in these days, and and social media and, and just kind of reading all the stuff on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram and everywhere. And, uh, you know, I guess it's just even though we don't have sports in our normal sense, it's nice to get a chance to kind of break away and talk about sports a little bit, um, even though uh, it seems as though all those current things kind of intertwine with sports. It's uh, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I know this. I went to the lake last weekend and had fun. Kids surfed and jumped in the water, and it was 90-something degrees down here in Medford. Uh, the, the water was about 78, 79 degrees down at Iron Gate. Uh, had an awesome Father's Day doing that, and uh, just uh, just kind of living life day by day. How about you? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know, day by day is a good way to put it. <laughs> between Portland and Medford and everywhere in between and, and all the, the stuff I got going on in my life. Um, I, I'm curious, over the past three months, how many times have people asked you whether you think there will be a college football season? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, obviously the, the answer is astronomical, but it's an understandable question. I mean... You know, you're talking about college football. You're talking about NFL, two of the most popular sports uh, in America, at least. I know soccer is kind of the world leader, quote unquote. But when you come to America, it's football um, and then everything else. So I, I understand the question. It's a hot topic. There's a lot of revenue around college football and the NFL. And given what I do for a living covering college football, mm-hmm. even if it's just for the Ducks, it's a it's a important question. You know, I. I don't know about you personally, Matt, but for me, I really just don't feel that much differently today than I did from the onset of the pandemic, from from the onset. I felt as though we would see a football season. I felt as though we would see it in a similar timeline that we are already planning for. I know folks talked about moving it into the next year or, or delaying the start to January or March or whatever crazy plans that people conjured up. You know, I just felt logistically that's just way too many moving parts at the college and the NFL level. So mm-hmm. I do feel as though we will see football in some form played on a field, played at, at uh, you know, stadiums. I think it'll just boil down to how many people are sitting live watching those sporting events in the stands is what it'll boil down to. Yeah. You, you talk about how your position hasn't changed. I, I feel similar to that. Um, I think that my position has kind of changed a little bit in that three months ago, I thought there's no way we're going to have college football season. I was really, I would say, cynical about that. Um, I thought that there would be more cases here 
and I thought that we would see more of an impact in that regard that would really prove we're not going to have a college football season. I think what has been really illuminating now is seeing states like ours where I, I think if you asked a majority of people, they would say, we've done a good job. We have generally socially distanced. We've generally worn masks. We've generally washed our hands and, you know, done the tests and take this thing seriously. Um, and as a result, Oregon and Oregon State, the, the football teams don't have significant case numbers. Uh, I, th- I think if you tested Portland State, they would probably say the same thing. If you tested SOU uh, and uh, Eastern Oregon uh, up in LeGrand, they might say the same thing. Um but if you look outside the state, I, I think about the headlines about all the players at Alabama that have coronavirus or the uh, the guys at Oklahoma State that when Mike Gundy asked them to show up to practice, they had coronavirus. Um, I don't know what college football might look like. We might get some games. You know, Oregon might play UCLA, something like that. But I don't know about a hundred plus division one teams all competing against each other. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I see what you're saying. I don't, I don't see any reasonable way that the NCA says, Hey, look, you guys can play, but you guys can't. Um, you know, I, I guess if, if, a, if a team is experiencing a, a big outburst of, of COVID-19 or something that might eliminate them, but it, it sure seems like you'd be, you know, really robbing some schools of the money that they need for not only their football programs to survive, but their other athletics. Because as we all know, football feeds a lot of other athletic programs at at a lot at all universities, not just at Oregon. Obviously, a major part at Oregon, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought I thought you made a good point, uh, Matt, and I I think uh, as far as is Oregon, even as frustrating as it as it has been and can be at times. You know, one of the things that we heard from the onset that people haven't mentioned as much now, but, you know, was flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. That's what we heard over and over. Right. And I think, you know, in terms of, of being able to combat the virus and, and just a major outbreak, you had to flatten the curve early. And I and I think that's what Oregon did and did a good job of now, you know. Since then, obviously, it's been kind of a mixed bag depending on the area. But, it, you know, one thing we know about COVID, it's always been. Uh, you know, it's always been a population density, you know, sort of a problem. So if you live in a Portland or if you live in an LA or if you live in a New York city, you know, where there's a ton of population in a small area, you know, you knew you were basically fighting and losing more to begin with an area much, you know, maybe like Medford down here, Southern Oregon, a little bit more sprawled out, uh, you know, a lot more room in between houses, you know, not huge, um, you know, high rises or apartment complexes or, or, or any of those things that really bring a lot of people into close proximity. So I think that that's been the thing um, that's really helped areas like ours, you know, areas like Bend, um, you know, some of those outliers. But, uh, yeah, there's no perfect answer here. I I guess my point, one thing that I know, I I believe you're a bit excited about, but one thing I think um, will be a good tool for us is to see what happens with Major League Baseball. Right. You know, getting, getting the green light, getting to training camp, and kind of getting things going there. It'll be interesting to see. I guess you could call that kind of the the tester uh, of the group for 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 pro sports, if you will, because I know UFC has been going on, but 
you know, they were obviously able to limit the, you know, interaction among people. Oh yeah. You know, you had, you had three people in a ring, which is no big deal. And only a few people on the outside of the ring. So you're able to, to limit things really well there. But uh, when it comes to baseball, football, you know, uh, 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 sports with, with larger teams, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. So um, I'll be interested to see what we get from that in the next 30 to 45 days and just kind of where that takes us. Yeah, I, I don't think we can learn much from UFC. Like like you said, if you're generous and you say everybody's got 10 people in their crew, uh, and that's a generous number. I've covered MMA it's it's generally you know your manager and a couple of trainers and and maybe your family and that's it um it's it's easy to put those 10 people in a bubble um with the nba planning to go to orlando and and major league baseball um planning a really if you think about it 30 bubbles right because everyone's going to stay at their home stadium and you're going to generally just play uh, teams in your region mariners playing against the giants for example um that that team is substantially larger and then you've got to factor in the coaching staff and the training staff and the front office staff um if if they can get their plan off the ground and that's still an if we don't we don't know the players can sign off on it today but there's a lot of time between now uh, the 25th of June and late July when they're supposed to get this thing off the ground and running if that happens and there are no outbreaks I think that's a good sign for college football oh definitely yeah I, d- I think that's a good marker and even you know I know some of the schools we've seen in the headlines you know Clemson or Alabama or, or whomever having you know 10 cases or whatever I, I, I don't think it's going to become an issue of reported cases. It's going to be, hey, how severe does this impact the athlete? How well can we control it? Um, because you're talking about, for instance, just for Oregon, you're talking about a group of young men that have been at wherever they've at. They've probably been in, we'll just say, at least a dozen different states, um, different cities, some of them highly populated, and then you bring everybody back. And there's no doubt that a lot of these young men that are incredible athletes in in incredible shape have probably been exposed to COVID-19 in one way or another. And that could have been, you know, them going to the store, them could have been around other family. It could have been on the flight out to Eugene, but you know, I know for Oregon, you know, they're, they're taking it very seriously. It's, Hey, you get back, we're going to test you. You're going to stay in quarantine for a week. At the end of that week, we'll test you again and see where you're at before you're cleared to actually go and do the voluntary workouts. If you want to do them. So I mean I think I think they're definitely trying to put the athlete safety at the at the forefront, and uh, but at the same time trying to you know get things returned to some level of, of normalcy. I, I think even if unless we see just a mad mad outbreak and some severely severely ill individuals and a lot of you know of players saying hey look I just don't feel safe I'm gonna I don't want to work out anymore or whatever. I still think we're trending the right direction. And I, I do believe we'll see some cases. We'll see some numbers. I mean, it's just natural. This thing's like the flu. It spreads. It's, but it doesn't mean that everybody gets sick. You know, you can just be a carrier and not actually be sick. So I, I think that's the separation a lot of folks tend to lose is somebody tested for COVID. You know, and we're, we're looking at this from afar. You are, I am, you know, fans are. We're looking at, you know, we, okay, Jordan Scott tested positive for COVID. Okay, well, Jordan probably feels perfectly fine. He's eating fine, doesn't feel sick, never felt sick. 
but yeah, he could be a carrier, uh, you know, of the virus. I guess we need to really remember the distinction between somebody who tests positive for COVID and somebody who tests positive and is really feeling, uh, you know, really feeling sick, really feeling like they have the flu. And, and that obviously requires a great deal of attention. All right. All right. Um, feel like kind of shifting the conversation a little bit. Uh, do you want to talk recruiting for a couple minutes? Yeah, absolutely. I'm blown away by what Oregon keeps doing. And I, I wrote this in my show notes for today. I'll just ask you because I'm fascinated by this. I, I think back to, say, 10 years ago, just like now, the Ducks were arguably at the cutting edge of college football. But 10 years ago, that cutting edge disappeared. P- people copied what Chip was doing with the nutrition and the scheme and, and some of the stuff they were running and some of the things they were doing. And then Oregon had that decline. And, you know, we, we don't have to go into it, but that final Helfrich year is a great example. Do you think that what Mario is doing in Eugene can be copied and taken away by other schools? Well, um, I think it can, and I think it has. But there's one, uh, there's one varying de- degree here that that you can't that you can't duplicate, and it's it's got to be that work effort. I think that Mario Cristobal, you know, came to Eugene, came to Oregon, and really brought an SEC style you know, a mentality of recruiting, something that we hadn't seen in the Pac-12 footprint because even USC at its height of the program didn't have to recruit maniacally. They basically said, hey, you can come play for us. And that was it. I right. mean, that was that, that was it. Pete Carroll just said, uh, you know, here you go. You got a scholarship, come play for us. And that was it. I mean, that's all they had to do. It wasn't like they had to work hard. They had to fight other other schools off to beat them those kids committed and never looked back. And, and, and I say that, and the, and the, uh, the number, the percentage of cases, you know, somebody's gonna say, well, what about DNT Thomas? The percentage wise it's in the low, it's a single digit of guys that basically committed to USC and went somewhere else in the end, um, you know, that weren't pushed out by USC. So mm-hmm. in terms of what Mario Crispo has done, you know, Stanford obviously will never be able to recruit that way. They've always got to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, Washington, again, I think Chris Peterson was able to be a little bit more selective uh, with his recruiting. I think he brought some of the mentality he had at Boise State where, hey, I'm offering you. It's it's, it's a blessing. And Chip Kelly's done that, too. I, I don't disagree with it. You know, hey, I, I'm doing you a favor. I'm offering you. And it works a little bit when you're winning and when you're developing and when you know, everything's going your way. But in the slightest crack of the foundation, that goes you know, away in a hurry. I think, I think Mac Brown at Texas is a great example of that because Mac Brown similar basically would pick and choose the top 20 kids in Texas that he wanted to offer. They would commit and it was game over. And then as Texas began to lose more and more and wasn't as strong, they weren't able to do that. And Mac Brown really struggled to adjust to current recruiting trends. So to answer your question, that was really long winded and I haven't answered it yet. I, I think Washington and Arizona state, and USC have all developed some ways to copy a lot of what Mario Cristobal is doing. I think one of the biggest things that Clay Helton did this offseason is expanded his recruiting office, hired video guys, hired a, photogra- uh, a photo editor guy, you know, to get those edits out to recruits. He's definitely 
pushed him his office and his program and and copied a lot of what Oregon is doing. Washington has done much of the same under Jimmy Lake and Arizona State has done basically done that for the last two years trying to duplicate what Oregon's doing. But there's a couple things working against them at the moment. Obviously, you know, Cristobal has that Alabama pedigree. You know, he's developed a lot of guys that have gone into the NFL. He's going to have his choice of offensive linemen. He's built an incredible staff, and he demands a lot of them. There's no question that Mario Cristobal is probably one of, one of, if not the most demanding coaches in the Pac-12. But I believe he makes that known from the onset, you know, in the hiring process. Hey, if you're going to come and coach under me, you know, don't be prepared to take weekends off and, and hanging out with your family all the time. You know, you're, you're going to be working and you're going to be working hard. Um, you know, and, and I think as long as you approach it that way, you'll get coaches that appreciate that and also know what it takes to win. You know, a guy like Ken Wilson, a guy like Jim Mastro, a guy like Joe Salavea, you know, all those guys that have been around the block and know what it takes to win at a high level. You know, they understand that it's a lot of work and Andy Avalos, if you will, those guys all understand that it's a lot of work and, and the days you take off are just the days that somebody else is catching up to you. So I think a lot of teams are going to continue to try and duplicate what Mario Cristobal is doing. But at the same time, competition is a great thing. So, you know, I believe at least from what Scoop Duck, Scoop Duck has done, you know, we've done a lot of new things into the Oregon market that have been duplicated by other sites. And that's okay. I understand that it's really, uh, it's really just complementing what we're doing. And if it's from the podcast and bringing guests on, or if it's the, the zoom interviews that, that Max Torres has been doing, uh, you know, the juice prediction Tuesday, all these things that we've done that, that get duplicated here and there, it's pushed us to continue to push the envelope. And I say that for Mario Cristobal as well. Sure. They're going to start copying the edits. They're going to start copying the way Oregon does things, but that just means that Mario Cristobal is going to have to continue to evolve and outwork them and come up with new ideas. And I mean, you're talking about a guy that's a workaholic, so I have no doubt that he's going to do that. Um, I uh, want to follow up on recruiting. I, I, I love the the angle there with Mario, what he's capable of, what he wants to do. You talked about this in your Tuesday Q&A um, about how he's utilized his downtime as effectively as you might hope over the last three months. What do you think he's done differently in these three months uh, versus what he would have done in a normal year? Oh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think, w tough to say. So I do believe this. I do believe that, you know, all the schools have gone to a, a virtual tour of some kind, you know, so you're getting kids on a Zoom and you're, you know, walking them around on a computer screen and showing them this or that or, or whatever you're doing for your Zoom. One of the things I think has been different is that Mario Cristobal has done a lot of those virtual tours on his own. So meaning instead of the coaches kind of delegating that to maybe the recruiting staff or the football personnel or the GAs or the analysts or those guys, I think a lot of those coaches have done them themselves and Mario Cristobal as well. And that's, I mean, that's a big difference. You're talking about, Hey, the, the head coach of Oregon football has taken 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever out to, to talk with me, to show me around, you know, those are all things that really, really stand out when a kid gets down, gets down to it, you know, starts making decisions and it's, Hey, you know, I tell you what, Mario Cristobal by 8am every morning has sent me a text, even if it's just, Hey, 
hope you have a great day, whatever the text might be. That all weighs into a kid's decision in the end. Moreover, I, I do believe one of the things that Oregon does a lot better than almost every other school, at least in the Pac-12, is how hard and how well they recruit the parents. And if there's not a parent involved, it's the uh, it's the mentor, it's the coach, it's whoever is that main factor that's helping the recruit make their decision. I think Oregon is diligent to make sure that those folks feel appreciated and recruited as well. Um, and and again, this starts at the at the head level. I I think I'm not going to sit here and bash Mark Helfrich, but one of the massive differences and the way it's paid dividends. Mark Helfrich was not a big recruiter. It wasn't his the name of his game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his strong suit, and that's right. okay. It's okay to admit that. I have a lot of things that I don't have that I'm not strong at. But I think you clearly see that recruiting is a strong suit and a favorite thing of Mario Cristobal and the way he emphasizes that. And the obvious results of that are the recruiting classes. You can see where Mark Helfitz struggled to fill out classes, you know, was in the late uh, was in the low 20s uh, some years. And you see Mario Cristobal constantly inside the top 10, if not better. And and I think it it comes down to something, you know, that, that they really prioritize and just a difference in there. Again, not bashing Mark Helfrich, but it's a pretty, pretty clear cut, you know, uh, for folks that have followed Oregon football and recruiting for the last decade, you could see the differences there. So um, yeah, I just think it's those little things. And again, everybody's kind of doing a lot of the same thing, but when you when you start boiling it down and, and uh, you know, a guy like Terrence Ferguson who decides later today, a few hours after you and I are done recording this, you know, you start thinking, okay, man, Oregon was on me early. They've been rec- recruiting my mom and dad. You know, I've talked to Mario Cristobal at least twice a week, every week since, you know, February, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, all those things start going into this the, the decision. And then you start seeing, hey, look, Oregon's, you know, already got a tight end committed as a four-star. They're only going to take one more guy. I might need to make my move. Hey, look, they got a great quarterback. Look, their offensive line is coming together you know, I might want to join all these guys. So you just start building this little snowball and you keep building it up and eventually you have a snowman and eventually he just gets bigger and bigger. And that's kind of, kind of what Mario Cristobal has done. But I, I think it's the fact that they've taken recruiting, you know, to such a fundamental basic level, but done it for so long and to such a high degree of, of work, just so much work ethic um, that, that I think that that's why you really see it pay off. And let's, let's face this. Oregon's a sellable program right now. You know, to see what Mario Cristobal's built in just a couple years, I believe we're on the cusp of Oregon basically being able to recruit at this level for the foreseeable future. And and by that, I mean, okay, we're going to have a number of guys going to the NFL this year. You're going to have another top-ranked recruiting class. You know, you've got a lot of things working in your favor. The development and the NFL things were all that was left for Mario Cristobal and he should have them at the end of this year. So I think he's about to build that monster that I think Pete Carroll had down at USC for, for a decade plus. I think Mario Cristobal is about to have that for as long as he wants to remain at Oregon. Wow. Wow. I, I would never, I mean, I believe Mario can win a championship someday, but that it that comparison that's a whole nother level uh, what what do you what's the expectation for this program what's their ceiling you mean for the season just like like when i think pete carroll usc i think about a school that could have won three national championships sure 
Yeah, no, I agree with. I mean, and you're, let's face it, you talk about USC back then. Yeah, they had dudes all over the field. They had five stars at linebacker. They had Reggie Bush. You know, your your offensive guys were all highly touted top 150 players. You know, you talk about the liner. It's all these guys that are five star quarterbacks. And I mean, they were awesome. They were a juggernaut. And uh, to me, the way I make my comparison is USC at that point in time under Pete Carroll was the Clemson of the Pac-12. They were the clear-cut favorite. They started recruiting at an elite level. They picked and chose who they wanted, and they just kind of kept that thing going. Well, I mean, start to look at Oregon's roster and just how it's turned over in, you know, we'll say two short years, but even expand it to three years if you want. But just in that short amount of time, you know, you're talking about multiple five stars on that roster now, which, sure, you know, Alabama, Clemson, all those guys have multiple, multiple five stars. But that's the way you get there. As you go from zero to one to three to five, and Oregon's definitely done that. Um, you know, you're seeing just in this class alone. It's it's the class of 21. Uh, you know, Mario Cristobal's got basically every top player out west looking hard at Oregon. Doesn't mean they'll sign them all, but Oregon's probably in the top three or better for all those players. Maybe at this point, he doesn't have the pick and choose power that Pete Carroll had at USC just because Oregon hasn't had that. Uh, Oregon has a good tradition of football. Oregon doesn't have a great tradition like USC or Alabama or Ohio State or Notre Dame or Michigan or the Blue Bloods. It's close, but it's not there yet. Winning is great, but winning a national championship puts you into a different level entirely, and Oregon needs to do that. So I think right now you're gonna, you're about to see Mario Cristobal able to own the Pac-12, at least for the foreseeable future. I believe he's got wow. an opportunity. I, I mean, I'm just – I don't know about you, but there's legitimate concerns up north at Washington with what's going on there. All that aside, you know, you've got Stanford that's always going to be – you know, Stanford's kind of cyclical. They're good for two or three years because of maybe they recruit two or three classes that come in together and maybe guys redshirt and some don't and they all come together. And then David Shaw is a tremendous football coach and they kind of bring it all together for a year or two. But then they have a couple years where they don't. And it's you're going to get that at Stanford because of the way you have to recruit. You know, Cal, you never really have enough fel, uh, uh, fan support to kind of be that upper echelon team. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're always going to kind of be what they're going to be. UCLA, I don't really know what they're doing. Chip Kelly's got his hands full. Um, you know, I obviously for him, hiring Keenan Lowe, uh, in my opinion, I, I think it's a, trim- a tremendous move for Keenan Lowe. I think it's a great move. move for Keenan Lowe. Yeah. yeah, but it's a PR move. Let's face it. On, on the on the bubble, that's a PR move, 100%. Chip was under fire a little bit from his team. He goes and brings a former teammate, uh, former, a former player uh, that obviously fits a profile he needs. But let's face it, Keenan Lowe loves Chip Kelly. He's going to speak positively of him. I don't have a bad thing to say about Chip Kelly. I don't. You know, I mean, anybody that wants to say, oh, yeah, he's a racist. I don't believe any of that. I don't think Chip Kelly sees people in that manner. I think Chip Kelly just is what he is. He's very, you know, he's, he's it's very blunt. He's very short. He's not super chummy. And I don't think he acts differently towards anyone of any different color. I think he's just that way with everybody. Right. So but he's just, I mean, he's just kind of a dick. Yeah, he is. He kind of is. And it's his way or the highway. And he's never going to change, and that's okay. But I, I think bringing in a guy like Keenan Lowe is a positive PR move for him, and I think it's a great move for Keenan Lowe as well. I, I'm happy to see him succeed there. He deserves it. Um, but, again, you know, 
back to Oregon, I, I just I believe with the way that Mario Cristobal conducts business. I believe with the way that he's emphasized recruiting. I believe with the way that he's emphasized development and the strength and conditioning program there at Oregon. You are one class away, and I say this, and I say this with full confidence. You are one class away from from if this if this class can be what we think it's going to be in 21. You're one class away from Oregon not being caught for a long time. I mean, they're about to really separate themselves from Washington, from USC, you know, from UCLA, from all these schools. They're about to separate themselves and become, you know, what looks like to me the Clemson of the Pac-12. And I and I and I say that. I mean, Alabama's kind of the Alabama of the SEC, you know, even though LSU won it last year and Georgia's always in there. You've got a couple good schools that are always competing. Clemson's the clear-cut leader of the ACC without question, although right. Mac Brown Mac Brown is definitely trying to catch him. He's got a ways to go. I think Mario Cristobal has really got Oregon positioned well, and it's going to become a destination school for all the top prospects out West, plus the few guys that Mario Cristobal, you know, seeks in Utah or in Georgia or in the Carolinas, you know, where he kind of looks for those long, twitchy edge type of guys and brings them in and develops them into studs. All right, so you're you're thinking that the ducks might be one step away from that point a clemson of the west was the analogy that you just used how do they take that step with this 21 class yeah first off you got you got to you got to finish this thing off right and there's a, there's a couple big fish out there that that you're trolling for you know there uh, Corey foreman no question you know Corey foreman's the top player in the country five star defensive end in the heart of los angeles his former teammate goes to USC and had a great freshman season, Drake Jackson. If you can get Corey Foreman to Oregon over USC and make no question about it, it would be over USC. They're not going to be able to pull though. We didn't want him anyway. That right there is it, it, it's, it, you know, you're, you're making this analogy. You're on the edge of something, trying to push it into this giant hole and you're getting that last push back, but you've got the heels are hanging over the edge and you're pushing Corey Foreman is, is the final push there. I just, I fully believe that I don't care what else USC is able to do. I don't care who else they're able to sign. I don't care where their class ends up being ranked. If Oregon can get Corey Foreman to sign with them this year, that really signals the full. And I will say completely hostile takeover of SoCal for Oregon over USC, but you know, you go the, the cherry on top in this, it's, it's almost, gosh, it's almost set up to be a perfect storm, if you will, if, if it can happen, but you've got JT Tuamalo up in Washington, another five-star defensive lineman. So again, we're talking about defensive linemen. They don't grow in abundance out West. There's rarely five-star defensive linemen out West. And you've got one in the heart of SoCal in front of USC's face. And you've got one in the heart of Seattle, right in front of Washington's face. And if you can somehow link those two guys up and get them both to Oregon, I mean, I know he's not going to do it, but I could just imagine Mario Cristobal sitting in his backyard, double burden it to the north and to the south <laughs> about the hostile takeover that Oregon's doing. But And I say that, and we joke, and we laugh, and, and right. I was making a joke, but it's very real. I mean, the, the repercussions, the ripple effects of that, of him being able to do that, and not only – so again, I got to go back. I know this. Say I say this all the time, but it's a twofold win. Not only are you getting the top talent out west, but and you're stealing them to it your from school, the other guy, stealing it from the other guy, right. and now they've got to go find somebody else that's clearly the next step down, or even two steps down if you've taken those top two steps. So 
you know, for me, the top three guys are Corey Foreman and JT and Keanu Williams out of Fresno. If you've gone and taken those three guys who are, in my opinion, clearly the top three defensive linemen out West without question, you've taken all three and put them at one school. Everybody else playing catch up at that point. I mean, and, and again, with the exception of USC, nobody's able to recruit nationally like Oregon. USC can at certain positions, definitely at the skill positions, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe quarterback, maybe at defensive back a little bit, definitely at wide receiver. They can recruit nationally, but across the board, they cannot, not with the success Oregon can. So that's how close we are, Matt. It's it's pretty – it's honestly crazy because I talk about that and you think, okay, J-Hop's got his green and yellow glasses on. But if you think back, I mean, almost everything that you and I've talked about since Mario Cristobal has taken over has come true. You know, hey, Mario's going to have Oregon competing again sooner than you think. Boom, there you go. Mario's going to have Oregon competing for a Pac-12 championship. Boom, not only competing, but winning it. All these things happened. And it was really, it, it seemed pretty easy to see at the time, but it still blows your mind when it happens. And I think this is the next thing that's going to blow everybody's mind. And we're only about six months away from it happening. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. When, when you broke down uh, the other schools in the Pac-12, I agree. I think Stanford is in a bind. Um, I'm always fascinated by that example because in women's sports, they are the power, right? In volleyball, in soccer especially, um, they can go out and they can recruit the best players in the country. And the reason why is because I think I think some of the best female athletes uh at at 17 18 years old i think they have better grades and i think they're they're more likely to get into stanford than some of the best male athletes at at that age um so football they kind of recruit with their hands tied behind their backs then you look at cal berkeley it's it's berkeley it's the bay area people there they got a million other things on their mind college football is not going to be at the forefront and then you got the socal schools right? USC is, is kind of stuck in the mud after a few years. And UCLA is fascinating to me. You mentioned the criticism that Chip has got, and I agree with you. I think that he's an equal opportunity coach. He's, he's not racist. He's not singling out guys or, or treating black players differently. I think he's just kind of mean to everybody. And if you can handle it, cool. A lot of kids can't handle it, um, and I and I want to loop back to UCLA because you mentioned the big story from the other day. I think this is a coup for them. If if Chip is Ying, Keenan Lowe is Yang, because as cold as Chip is, as aloof as he might be sometimes, I know Coach Lowe from from covering high school football here. What he did at Park Rose on the east side of Portland that was miracle work. This is an extremely human coach, a relatable coach, and I think there are going to be players at UCLA who will run through a brick wall for him. Well, you just said the word that I was sitting here waiting, uh, you know, when, when you were done making your point, but you said the key word, and, and that's relatable. And, and I think that's the one thing that Chip's not. He's not relatable. Um, he's, re- he's relatable to maybe a more mature adult, somebody that's 25-plus, you know, maybe 30 plus that can look back and say, Hey, look, I know what he's doing. I understand it. I get kind of his tough love my way or the highway. You know, I get it at 17, 18, 19 years old. You don't get it. You, you know, Hey, this guy's not very nice to me. 
Yeah, well, he's not very nice to everybody. So <laughs> just kind of get used to it. And that's, you made the key word there. Chip's not very relatable. He just isn't. Uh, whereas a guy like Keenan Lowe comes in and, you know, and Chip can say, hey, look, this is the point I'm trying to make. Just make it so that they don't hate me. And Keenan can go in and kind of make, <laughs> you know, make things a little bit more relatable. Like, hey, right. you know, Chip's wanting you to do this. And, and I guess that brings me, it wasn't my point originally, but it brings me back to something that Mario Cristobal has preached and we've heard him and Aaron Feld both on the podcast talk about, but it's the why everybody wants to know the why anymore. It's not just, Hey, go and do this. Okay. It's go and do this. And here's why it's right. going to make you stronger. Right. It's going to, you know, it's going to increase your 40. It's going to increase your Whatever the case might be, you know, why does coach have us doing a hundred burpees today? Well, okay. You used to be able to just say, go do a hundred burpees. And that was the end of the story. But really now we've kind of evolved as, as a society where the why becomes the trigger. Like, hey, you need to go do these. I know it's going to suck, but here's why. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and, and I think those are the things, again, you know, something that, that Mario Cristobal embraces and does a really good job of. And, you know, unfortunately, a guy like Chip Kelly, that's not a strong suit. He just wants to sit in a room and draw up offense and crazy plays and figure out how not to hike the ball and be back on the ball in 10 seconds after getting tackled. And I can applaud him for that because nobody does it better. But there's so many, uh, you know, other elements that go into high-level coaching anymore. And I think Mario Cristobal really embraces those. Uh, you mentioned the maniac with the mustache, Aaron Feld. Over the last three months, I, I've added so much more respect for who he is as a person and, and what he's doing at Oregon. I'm, I'm thinking about this right now. You think the Ducks are going to take a big step up. You think they can be what Pete Carroll had at USC. Uh, Clemson of the West was another term you threw out. Take Mario Cristobal out of the equation. Outside of Mario, who's the most important staffer at Oregon? Oh, that's a good question because I will say this. Uh, I will say this, and, and you're not going to change my mind. I don't care who it is. They can argue to their green in the face this is the best staff that oregon's ever had from top to bottom and and that can exclude mario cristobal if you want but if you're just talking coordinators down to gas there is absolutely no other staff that's been able to touch this staff at oregon now that said i have a tremendous amount of respect for the guys that hung around for you know a guy like john neal a guy like gary campbell both of which i know personally and they are tremendous coaches. They are tremendous individuals. Right. Steve Greatwood, yeah. all those guys, a lot of love for them, a lot of respect. But even those guys at this point right now would probably come on this podcast. I mean, Gary Campbell's done done it, self-admitted and say, there's no way I can keep up with what those guys are doing. And it might not be necessarily just an X's and O's coaching thing. We're talking about recruiting. We're talking about evaluating all of the other stuff that now goes into coaching that probably that that really didn't go into coaching a decade ago, or even you know, maybe even five six years ago. So, um, I, I have to say this: I am super, super, super excited to see what Joe Moorhead does to this Oregon offense. I I think that was, I, I think Mario Cristobal. Again, you're going to think back. Mario Cristobal took his sweet time making an offensive coordinator hire. Took his time. It pisses everybody off. The fans get impatient. And then, oh, lo and behold, Joe Moorhead's available all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Had Mario Cristobal rush that hire, he's not hiring Joe Moorhead because he's already hired somebody else. Right. I love the hire. I think I don't think Mario Cristobal could have hired a better offensive coordinator anywhere. That said, Andy Avalos, I'm I'm going to go with him. He's the proven commodity. 
We know what he's been able to do with the defense in one year. I'm tremendously, tremendously excited to see what he can do with the defense in a second year. I know he lost a couple pieces. It's going to be tough to replace a guy like Troy Dye. But if you're going to lose a guy like Troy Dye and replace him with a Noah Sewell or Justin Flo, you're probably going to end up being okay in the end. So for me, I think, and it's not that he's irreplaceable, but I, I just think right now, if you're, I mean, you're getting your money's worth, somebody who's at the apex of their job, probably one of the top five guys at their position, which would be him being a top five defensive coordinator in the country, which I believe he is. For me, it's Andy Avalos. He's proven it, although I'm very excited about Joel Moorhead. Yeah. I, I, I get that. I, I'm fond of both of those guys. I can't wait to see what a Joe Moorhead offense looks like at Oregon. And you know I think the world of Avalos. I think he should have been a Power 5 head coach after what he did this past year. But I'm going Feld just because I, I've read a lot about, say, the, the story out of Iowa this offseason about uh, their strength coach and issues there. And I know the rebuttal to it that a lot of people had was this is just how strength coaches are, right? The players thought they were being singled out. And uh, the response nationally was, no, strength coaches are just mean to everybody. And, and you brought up what makes Feld different, right? He doesn't just tell you, hey, I want you to you know, work your butt off today. He tells you why. And, and he, he introduces you to a system and has you be a part of that system. And I think that separates Oregon from some of the other schools in the country. I think he's really special. No, he definitely is. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that just it, it continuously gets lost in the shuffle with, with Coach Feld, and, and you and I have had him on a couple times, so we know differently, is just his intellect and his philosophy and the oh, yeah. way that he, he breaks things down from a mental aspect. It's not just him in there, hey, go lift those barbells and, you know what I mean, go pound your chest. And, you know, he does so much with these guys from, from a positivity standpoint, um, just mentally getting their minds ready. Um, you know, for the benefits of, of what they do to their bodies. And so, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I, I believe makes him, you know, truly unique. It's not to say he's the only one, but he's definitely one of the better when it comes to all of those things um, altogether. And then, you know, if you followed him on, on social media for the last few weeks, you know, since we've had the, the outbreak of the, of the BLM movement and not to phrase that incorrectly, but just he's been at the forefront and definitely somebody that's really, obviously passionate about it and, and, and helping and, and seeing that everything, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, helping see the movement succeed, I guess, if you will, is what I'm trying to say. So, no, um, I, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty special to have him at Oregon for sure. I agree with you there wholeheartedly. I mean that, like I said, that's been a big thing for me is just seeing him at the forefront, seeing him be a champion. And uh, you, you can tell why he wants to work on the West coast. Cause I, I think that culturally, he fits here, and he's thriving here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I and I think him and Coach Chris Ball are a good match because they respect each other. And, you know, uh, I think – I guess it's a mutual trust thing. You know, Coach Feld has, has complete trust in Coach Chris Ball, and I think that's reciprocated. He knows that Coach Feld's doing the best by his athletes and getting them ready. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, from top to bottom, uh, you know, again, I don't think Oregon's ever had a better staff – uh in eugene and i say that with with zero disrespect to the coaches before them but uh 
it's pretty impressive what Mario Cristobal's assembled in Eugene. All right, man. Uh, I, I feel pretty good about this week. I, I go into every pod with a checklist on what I want to talk about, and we've checked off every box. <laughs> you have anything else that you want to bring up? No. Uh, you know, I know folks are going to listen to this maybe on a Thursday evening or a Friday or whatever, and, you know, without giving anything away, Terrence Ferguson's going to commit later today. Right. Uh, you know, Oregon's one of the one of the finalists. Looks like he's going to be a duck, but we'll uh, we'll break that down next week, um, assuming he makes the commitment to Oregon and kind of what that means and and just uh, what type of player the Ducks are getting should he potentially uh, pick pick Oregon. Um, but other than that, I think that that checks all the boxes and and uh, we got a got us another dandy week of podcast out out for everybody. Do you know if he has a good Ducks hat or just a generic one? Gosh, I don't, I don't, man, I don't know. You, you keep watching these things like, man, I mean, do they not send these hats out to Utah or Colorado <laughs> or anywhere? I mean, you know, they just keeping them all on Eugene or what? But, I love the hat game. Uh, t- to me, uh, just, just being a total outsider, watching you do your thing, I love the hat game because it just feels like the hat game is always right. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's nearly undefeated. The hat game is uh is strong but uh yeah so uh, you know i don't know if he went to walmart and bought the cheapest some bitch he could find <laughs> you know this 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 week but i guess we'll find out right. uh in just just a few hours from from now all right man justin hopkins matt bagley uh you can listen to this on scoopdoc.com and we implore you to do so leave a comment tell us what you think about this tell us how you think we might improve this and you can also listen to us on any podcast app it's easy just go to whatever podcast app you use on your smartphone and search scoop duck in hi-fi thanks for listening go ducks i can do this night like all day long